Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. When I think about myself when I'm really anxious and when I know that I'm really struggling, I'm doing exactly what the government's asked us to do, which is to self-isolate, you know, to stay at home. The people out there who do have mental health issues who are struggling right now, they're being asked to do something that is something that they would do when they're struggling. This week on Mad World, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome a woman who captured the nation's hearts in 2015 when she won the Great British Bake Off. Since then, she's written several cookbooks, novels, a children's book, a memoir, and I don't imagine many people can say this, but also baked a birthday cake for the Queen. She's also candidly spoken about her battles with anxiety and panic. Would you please welcome the wonderful Nadia Hussein? Hello. I'd like to just start the chat immediately. I'm so thankful for you, Nadia, coming on and taking the time to chat to us. First off, how are you really? Because we ask this question to each other a million times a day, but we often don't answer with how we really feel. So how are you really, my love? Not okay. (laughs) And I say that and I hide that with a laugh. Which is normal. Yeah, but no. I, I, how often do you get asked, how are you really? Not often. Not often. I don't think we ask that question. I think we ask each other, how are you? Are you okay? In the hope of maybe sometimes for a quick answer. And how are you really is, is a really tough one to answer because I don't think people get asked that question very often. And right now, mm, not not great. Just not great. Can I thank you for answering that honestly? Because lots of people do just gloss over, don't they? And sort of say, I'm fine, I'm fine. I rewatched last night your Anxiety and Me documentary. And so much of it resonated with me. And it was a year ago that it came out during Mental Health Awareness Week. And it was such a brave, honest, helpful documentary to do. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder how she's doing now. At the time, I didn't think I was doing anything brave, but I didn't really realise what I was doing till I had a camera in my face. Mm -hmm. And then I realised, oh, actually, I'm I'm talking about something that's so deep-rooted and so private. Mm. And I'm sticking a camera in my house, in my face, following me around. And we're talking about something that I've spent 30 something years hiding. And that was really, really tough. And I went from 
kind of managing I'm not even going to say managing because I wasn't managing it what I was doing was hiding it quite well Mm. and that's really easy to do by smiling sometimes and just pretending like you're okay and it was only when I had the camera in my face and all those things that I had spent years digging deep and burying away I had to unearth all of that and that's what I was asking myself to do and that was a lot to do in a space of two weeks I'd spent years hiding my anxiety from my kids from my family and you know at the very beginning from my husband and in those two weeks of filming I was then digging unearthing all of that stuff up and that those were the hardest two weeks of my life I think because I had to then function as a mum as a wife as somebody in the public eye and do all of that and do this filming. And it just took it out of me in a way I'd never imagined it would. So when it when the filming stopped, did you did you carry on doing the the work with is it Paul? He absolutely was like, you have to come back, you've got to keep going, we've got to carry on. And what did I do? I just went back into my black hole of work and pretending like it's okay. Mm. And I didn't, I never went back. I never went back. And it's been over a year now and I've gone back into kind of my managing slash hiding all over again. Mm-hmm. Could you just tell us a bit about how your anxiety manifests itself? There was one bit where I was like, oh my God, this is what I used to do when I was a child. And you'd count and say your family's names to keep them alive when you were a kid. And that I, I used to do that as well. Wow! I was like, this is such a common thing. And I thought I was, and I used to have to say certain phrases to keep them alive. You know, I was like, you know, if I, and then I think I'd said the phrase wrong. So I'd have to say it again and again and again. Well, as a kid, I didn't know that that was a thing. I thought it was just me. I, you just don't think that it's, that's the thing with anxiety. It's quite isolating. It's something that you you never really believe that there's anybody else in the world like you. And so it's really hard to talk about. So it does feel like it's quite isolating. But for me as a kid growing up, that was one of the things that I would do. And if I didn't do it, I would beat myself up. And if something went wrong the next day, it was my fault. It was me that did it. And I suppose as I've become older, I do less of that. But I do things in my day-to-day life which I think I'm not doing, but actually I know I'm doing things like making sure that this sink is immaculate before I leave is something that like, I feel like if that sink is not clean, my day, the next day will not start the way it should. And I realize now as an adult, all those things that I did as a kid by like having to say everybody's name in my family uh, to keep them alive. Like to me, I've kind of, that pattern has like somehow merged itself into my adult life. For me, it's routine. I'm so anal about everything being a certain way, things in straight lines, making sure everything's perfect. And and for me, that that that's control. And because I can't control my anxiety and I can't control my mental health, the only thing I can control is where I put jars and how I clean mm-hmm. in a certain way. And I think that's a control thing for me. I've tried when I was with Paul and we spoke about allowing myself to be impulsive and not having rules and timetables and just doing stuff off the cuff. I physically cannot do that. I can't do stuff off the cuff. I'm not the person that says, it's a really nice day. Let's go to the beach. No, I'm not that person. I just, I don't, I can't be that person. And I think that controlling behavior can be quite debilitating, Yeah, which it feels like it shouldn't be, but it can be. No, I totally get it. I mean, and I think a lot of people listening will 
will get it as well. And I think also it's those processes that, that people often describe as they sort of lightly go, oh, I'm a bit OCD, you know, as if it was like a fun, good, you know, cleanliness thing. And it is, as you said, the word you said that absolutely encapsulates it is it's debilitating. It's utterly debilitating. And it and it takes over every, it's like being locked in your own head, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, it's it's really odd, especially right now, because it is like being stuck and, and every day is a struggle to try and unstick yourself and say, today I'm going to have a good day. Today I'm not going to be stuck in my head. Today I'm going to live in the moment. Today I'm going to enjoy everything. And and I, I, I struggle with that every single day. I, I, I can't just, like, it's hard because I've got children and, and I want to be able to enjoy them. Like I watch other people outside of my head and, and, and they look like they're just enjoying every moment. And for me, I spend so much time thinking about my actions and thinking about why I'm doing a certain thing and questioning things and overthinking things that I don't enjoy that moment. You know, I may never get that moment back again. And so with that comes regret and kind of that self-loathing where I just think, oh, why can't I be a different person? And that's like a never ending. And I can't, I don't know how else to explain it apart from it's this hamster wheel. And I can never seem to get off that hamster wheel. Every day that I try and kind of step off, I find myself spinning around in circles continually and I can't get off that hamster wheel and it's all in my head and it does feel like being trapped inside of your own head for what feels like forever and it just doesn't feel like I'm ever going to come off. Oh Nadia I, I wish oh I wish I could be doing this podcast with you face to face and that I could give you a massive hug yeah because you can't see me right now but I feel very teary because that is a, such a brilliant description of what anxiety is like and I feel like at the moment There'll be so many people who are uh, struggling on, you know, we are, and especially like I feel kind of that that physical sense of being trapped, you know. Yeah. Do you feel that the situation, the current situation that we are in, the extraordinary situation we find ourselves in, do you feel that that has sort of brought about this period of anxiety now? Oh, my goodness. I find myself sitting on an evening just kind of evaluating the world and what, people might be feeling right now because it's really hard to feel useful mm. being sat at home because you've got people on the front line who are risking life and limb to keep people safe to keep their jobs for whatever reason that they're out there for you know they're out there doing that job and you feel kind of useless sat here but it's really bizarre because when i think about myself when i'm really anxious and when i know that i'm really struggling i'm doing exactly what the government's asked us to do which is to self isolate you know to stay at home to not have any physical contact to keep away that social distancing. And that's what I do when I'm anxious. On a good day, when I have the choice to be able to go out and see my family and and, and spend time with my kids and enjoy the sun and, and enjoy my job, I do the complete opposite. I stay at home. I stay in bed. I don't talk to people. I won't ring anyone. I don't answer phone calls. I just keep myself to myself. And it's just, it's just solely me in, in a room, usually in the dark. And it's almost like we're being asked to do that. So I can only imagine... The people out there who do have mental health issues who are struggling right now, they're being asked to do something that is something that they would do when they're struggling. So it's it's really, really tough. I, I mean, this is probably the worst I've felt in a really long time because we're all trying so hard to be productive. And given that a lot of my anxiety means that I tidy and organize a lot, I've got nothing left to organize anymore. <laughs> there wasn't anything three weeks ago when we started to isolate. There was nothing to organize. 
then and there isn't anything to organize now so I'm kind of looking at things and thinking can I should I move furniture around just I'm trying to find <laughs> things to do and I can't find anything to do so I spent all of yesterday kind of febrezing everything and the house smells great but there's still nothing left to do today I mean that is that you nailed it there with that sense of needing to be productive even when there's a global pandemic going on do you know what I mean and how keeping yourself busy is a very very common coping mechanism for anxiety isn't it It is and that's something that like obviously I I'm constantly on I don't stop I very rarely stop and when I do I'm it's usually because I'm sick and that's even then I'm looking for things to do but I think in a situation like this where we're forced to stop to to a certain extent it really does allow you to look at yourself and I think in the last couple of weeks it's really allowed me to really look at how I deal with my anxiety and how I have ignored it for such a long time and how it's almost come to a head where I, because I've got nothing else left to do, I, I can't be productive because, you know, I'm trying to write as much as I can. I'm doing recipes, but you know, I haven't got ingredients. So it's hard to cook when you haven't got anything in. So I'm trying to pr- be productive, but this has definitely given me the opportunity to look at myself and look at how, how bad my anxiety is or how bad it can get. And it has made me stop. And, you know, one of the things that I don't do very often is kind of just sit and listen to myself breathe. And it's like, and it's kind of reminded me that you are alive, which is, you know what, a great place to be right now. And I should be really, really happy about that. And I don't, I think I'm so productive sometimes. I don't even stop and listen to myself breathe. And I think that's really important for us to do just to stop and just allow yourself to remember that you are alive. And this is the body that keeps you alive and keeps you going. And Like it's really allowed me to stop and really think about where I'm at, especially with my anxiety. Do you think that when this is all over, do you think that you might go back to doing some of the cognitive behavioural therapy and the other sort of therapy that was suggested in the documentary? My favourite bit, not that favourite seems like the wrong word because it's such a serious subject, but (laughs) was when you went on stage. And I didn't realise that every time you go on stage in front of thousands of people, you don't wear your glasses because if you can't see them, you can imagine they're not there. So you put your glasses on for the first time. Yeah, I wear them now. Like I wear them a lot more now. It's it's such a bizarre thing because like I don't wear my glasses so I can't see. And that's so much of that is my behaviour. You know, I do so many things so I can't actually... Because it, it's the realization of where I'm at and where my head is at and how unwell I am, and I think the glasses are a, are a metaphor for that because I don't wear my glasses because I don't want to see. I don't want to face up to the fact that I'm not well. I don't want to face up to the fact that this, you know, I need help. And I think wearing the glasses for me was such a big step. I can't get out of bed some days and I don't know why, but I can stand in front of three thousand people and and talk about cooking and talk about recipes because that's what I love to do. That's what makes me happy. And those glasses, you know, I, I, years, I didn't wear them. And then to be able to do that was such a big deal for me. And yeah, I had a little flutter in my stomach, but I still did what I loved and I did it well. And I think that's something that I have to remind myself because I think anyone who suffers with mental health issues, I think they're very, I think they can be quite critical of themselves. And what I, once this is over, I think the one thing I'm teaching myself to do a lot more of is to believe that I'm good enough and to believe that I am good at what I do. Because I, you know, growing up as a British Bangladeshi Muslim woman, you know, I've had 
many hurdles. And there are lots of women out there who will know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, the constantly being told, no, you're a girl, you can't do this, or you're not allowed to do this, or this isn't the done thing, or this isn't what you should be doing. This isn't what is expected of you. All of those things. Like no matter what community you grow up in, you hear that to some extent. And I think as a woman, British, Bangladeshi, Muslim woman, I think I had everything kind of gunning towards me. And I, I and, and it's always been a case of, I'm not good enough, or I'm a woman, so I can't do it. Or, you know, my opportunities were very different to other people if they even ever existed at some points in my life. I think that's something that I have to constantly tell myself is that actually, you know what, you are good at what you do and that you you are worth it and that you can do it. And for me, that's really important, especially because I'm raising children. I don't want to raise them to believe that they're not good enough. Mm. And, you know, I always kind of go back to my kids, but I have a responsibility to my kids, but I have a responsibility to me. And I, I forget that sometimes because when you're a mother, everything is about your children. And in between being a, my father's daughter and becoming a wife and becoming a mother, I got lost somewhere in all of that. And I never put myself first. So before I say, talk about being a good daughter or being a good wife or a good sister or a good mother, I kind of say, hey, hold on a second. Just can we stop and just be good to yourself just for a moment? And I think in between all of those relationships and all of the things, all of the people that I have to look after and all of the people that I have to give my love to, I have to remind myself to love myself a little bit too. You need to love yourself a lot. Like the other things that resonated with me was when you said to your sisters, like your sister said to you, so if I told you you were the best sister in the world and you said, I'd be like, you're lying. And that as well, that self-loathing that is such a, um, such a piece of anxiety and, and I and I have it too and I and I understand that you have had so many as you say more obstacles and you were you know you were bullied terribly as a child and I think that you also you show how anxiety is such a hidden thing because to a lot of people they will see you on Bake Off they'll see you on telly and they'll and they'll think oh my god it's Nadia she's like this national treasure and she's you know your face is just like such a joy to look at and and yet it hides all this kind of this deep existential angst, you know, which I think a lot of people relate to. Yeah, I I, I find it kind of odd because lots of I've met so many people who have said, I could tell you weren't confident or I could see a little bit of myself in you or I could see that you were not sure or, or nervous or anxious. And it's really odd because I think like I think you can almost sense it. I think when you have anxiety, you can sense somebody by the way they say something or the way they kind of might refer to someone or something or or themselves or just the way they behave. You can almost kind of sense it. I don't know. You have this sixth sense around people. And I think although I went on and won it, which I didn't expect to do, definitely not. Like I remember even at the end when I won Bake Off, I gave Paul the trophy back and I said, are you sure you don't want to give it to Tamal? And he's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> now I work in telly now. I know they were not going to film two days all over again just to give Tamal the the trophy. <laughs> Did you genuinely think that at the time? <laughs> I gave Paul the trophy back and I said, are you sure you've made the right choice? Do you, are you sure you don't want to give it to Tamal? And my husband's looking at me as if, what is wrong with you? Yeah, your face actually, your face that when you look back at that footage of you winning, you do look absolutely gobsmacked. Like, what the hell? You'd never look at that face and think, oh yeah, she knew she was going to win. No, 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 no. I was more worried about getting the icing sugar out of my shoe. I really was. I, I didn't even care. You know, I, I, I didn't believe for a second that I was going to win. Even now I kind of look at it and think, really, how has, how has any of this happened? Um, and I do, I have the, I have this genuine fear that like, Mr. Hollywood's going to knock on my door and say, can I have the trophy back? Actually, we did make a mistake and, and just take it. He's not getting it. I'm not going to give it to him. <laughs> 
Where is the trophy? <laughs> it's in my husband's office. Okay. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, it's, you are, you're just so, oh, I just think you're so lovely and wonderful. And when I watch you on your Instagram about making cookie dough and like, I just, I'm really grateful for your honesty and your, your candidness in letting people know that it's okay to not always be okay. I just want to give you a cuddle. Yeah, I could do with one. I could do with a cuddle right now. When when this is over, can I give you a really big cuddle? When this is over, there's going to be so much cake to be had and so much tea to be drank. That's one of the things that I've said to myself because my anxiety has taken so many months and years of my life. Years, definitely years of my life. And right now I have the joy of, you know, being with my three kids and my husband at home and we're busy. We've got so many animals. We've got vegetable patch and we're just kind of like keeping ourselves busy. But when this is over, I'm going to stop doing what I do, which is just ignoring the life in front of me. So yes, let's, can we have a big hug and some cake and definitely do that because there's so many people that I want to hug and eat cake with right now. Oh my God. I'd love that. But you'll, you'll have to bake the cake because I'm terrible at baking. You can do the hugs. I can just about cobble together a sufficient banana bread, but. Which everybody's doing right now, by the way, what happened? Everybody is into banana bread right now. Well, there's, I've got loads of mankill bananas in my fruit bowl and a little bit of flour left. Actually, I, I want to ask you, what is your favorite thing? What would your favorite like lack of recipe ingredient be to to bake or make today like what if you haven't got many eggs you haven't got much flour because obviously baking for you is a really clear way of you dealing with anxiety so what would you make what will you be making when you get off the oh, I was gonna say off the phone off this weird podcast thing we're doing so I one thing I have been doing which I've really enjoyed is just because I, I don't waste anything. I, I keep everything. I grew up in a very kind of not well-to-do family. My granddad was a farmer. My parents, they never threw anything away. Even to this day, they don't throw anything away. If it can be eaten and it won't poison you, you will eat it. That's as simple <laughs> as that in our home. It really is. It's like, if it's not going to kill you, it's being eaten. <laughs> That's how we grew up. And like, it's really weird because now everybody really wants to know how to not waste anymore and use ways of using things up. So Today, we had like six bananas that have been eaten, but I've saved the peels in the fridge. So I'm going to go and for lunch, we're making pulled banana peel, which is a little bit like pulled chicken. Wow. So we're using the actual skins. So I've been eating banana skin since I was a kid. We've always eaten it. It's something we've always cooked. My dad never throws it away. And I'm really enjoying sharing those kinds of recipes on Instagram because it's unusual. And I think it does raise eyebrows and people think, really, can you eat that? And it's just like, look, we we kill animals and eat them. We can eat banana peel. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love doing stuff like that. So we're going to make some pulled banana skin, barbecue banana skin, and they're going to have burgers with that later on today. And, and I'm also doing some brownies. So uh, I've got a brownie recipe that I put up on Instagram a couple of days ago and we've just run out. So I'm going to make some more and you don't need any flour. So if you're out of flour, you've got a couple of eggs knocking around, then you can make a really, really good gluten-free brownie. Amazing. Nadia, thank you so, so much for taking the time to come and chat to me in these kind of really weird circumstances. I really, I just really appreciate it. And I'm, I can't believe this is like the first time we've ever spoken because I feel like I know you. Yeah, I, I think, you know what, this is, um, if ever I was going to do a podcast, it was going to be with you. Oh. And it's such a shame that we haven't done it in a room together where we could have a natter before and after and eat cake. Can I come round and 
and uh, see the chickens. Absolutely. I've got chickens, I've got a budgie, I've got a cat, I've got a rabbit, you name it. I've got the lot. You would be very entertained. I am getting goats though at some point this year, maybe. What? Yeah. Okay. When you get those goats, I'm straight round. Right. Perfect. (laughs) Before you go, I just wanted to tell you about something we're doing here at The Telegraph. We've launched You Are Not Alone, a collection of inspiring stories showcasing community spirit and helping you to stay connected to others. One of my favourite parts of it is our resident psychologist, Linda Blair, sharing her daily dose of calm, tips that will help you slow things down in this fast-moving situation. Social connectivity is more important now than ever, so click on the link in the show notes for more details and go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld to get your first 30 days access to the website completely free. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. They're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Then there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. If you prefer text support, Shout is a 24 7 UK crisis text service available for times when people feel they need immediate support. By texting Shout to 85258, a texter will be put in touch with a trained crisis volunteer who will chat to them using trained techniques via text. And remember this you are not alone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 